Welcome to The Green Rush, a podcast about the intersection of cannabis, the capital markets, and culture. On a weekly basis, hosts and Don Ho and Nick Opich of KCSA Strategic Communications speak with the business leaders, financial experts, cultural icons, legislators, and generally interesting people moving the cannabis and psychedelics industries forward. This week, Anne and Lewis Goldberg are back for a new episode with special guests Vivian Azer, Managing Director and Senior Research Analyst specializing in the beverages, tobacco, and cannabis sectors, and Eric Asaraf, Director of the Cohen Washington Research Group, covering healthcare and medical technology at TD Cohen. Vivian and Eric join us this week to discuss the current state of the cannabis industry, including their perspective on the Safe Banking Act, the rescheduling and descheduling of cannabis at the federal level, and industry growth. If you're interested in learning more about TD Cohen and its offerings, visit the links in our show notes. Also, be sure to follow Vivian, Eric, and TD Cohen on LinkedIn and Twitter. So sit back and enjoy our conversation with Vivian Azer and Eric Azaraf of TD Cohen. Welcome back to the Green Rush. Um, uh, this is Lewis. For those of you who either do or do not recognize my voice, and we're really lucky to be joined by Vivian Azer um, and um, Eric Asaroff from Cowan or TD Cowan now. Um, Vivian, do you mind? You know, for those of us who are not familiar with your work, and if they're not familiar, they will be and should be um, who you are. And then Eric, take a moment to introduce yourself, and then we'll jump right into um, the the grilling, so to speak. Thanks, Lewis. So good to be with you all. Thank you for having us. Yeah, so um, Vivian Azer, TD Cowens, Beverages, Tobacco, and Cannabis Analyst. Uh, we initiated coverage of the cannabis sector in 2016. Uh, so we were the, the first, we think, on Wall Street um, to be doing it in a really credible way. We were leveraging our expertise in highly regulated industries because I've already been covering um, the tobacco and alcoholic beverage sectors. Um, for, for six years, um, having started my career at City, and I was really um, fortunate to be in a position having moved to Cowan at the time in 2014 to get approval to, to cover cannabis. And so we saw 2016 as a really important catalyst, given the number of state ballot initiatives that were in front of us heading into that election cycle. And Eric? Yep, Eric Asraf with uh, TD Cowan's Washington Research Group, uh, where we focus on policy specific developments, uh, along with my colleague, Jared Seberg, uh, we're looking at cannabis legalization on the, both the federal and state level. Uh, my focus is more on the state side uh, and also look at CBD policy developments. Well, I mean, v Vivian, you are definitely the definition of an OG in this space. I mean, having, having been here as a, an equity analyst back in 16, um, you know, it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, you know, when you got into covering the space, there was such unbelievable hope 
for the industry. Billions of dollars of investment flowed into the, you know, the cannabis space. And, you know, dozens of states since you have been covering have either become medical or adult use. You know, we've seen billions of dollars of legally executed, executed purchases. And, you know, today, more people have bought weed legally than do did so yesterday, um, and will do so again tomorrow. Um, you know, the reality though is that the, the the equity markets they're struggling, and states like California and Colorado are actually seeing declining sales quarter over quarter. Within the industry, you know, there's this unbelievably sad feeling. There's this like malaise. You you see all, you hear all. And to some people, you know all. What's happening? And how did we get here? Like, there was all this hope. And now there's this like, oh, really? Cannabis? Yeah, I mean, it's a complicated question. I think I break it up into two parts, a macro perspective and a micro perspective. And so from a macro perspective, I'd really want to offer some, some commentary around the broader health of the U.S. consumer. We've done a lot of really good collaborative work with our um, colleagues across consumer staples and discretionary at um, TD Cowan. And, and we've been cautious on the low-income consumer. Um, the amount of inflation uh, that the consumer is experiencing coming out of COVID, the anniversary of the stimulus, high gas prices, which really only started to roll over year over year in the first quarter of 2023, all really, really put constraints on consumers' ability, ability to deploy discretionary dollars. And so we found across a number of my categories that over-indexed to lower-income consumers that consumers are having to be more choiceful um, with their discretionary spend. Certainly in the tobacco space, for instance, where the demographics look a little similar to to, to what you see in, in cigarettes, just from an income perspective, as well as from a from a ethnicity perspective, that you're seeing a lot of trade down. And, and that's been true for a couple of years now. And so that's the parallel that, that I would draw at the macro level um, with what we're seeing in the cannabis space today. Can we pause for a second there? Because what I what I think I heard you say was that the the consumer in cannabis is price sensitive and that they are forcing producers to lower the price point of what their products were. So, you know, when you first started covering this, the price for an ounce might have been, you know, a couple hundred bucks, and now that's come down dramatically. Pre-rolls, the cost of edibles, all of that is is coming down. The production costs haven't necessarily come down to keep um, pace with the, the pricing pressure. So does that – is that – part of the issue on the revenue side that like what costs me 500 bucks to grow a pound I where I was getting 2000 bucks a pound now I'm maybe getting a thousand bucks a pound you couple that with 280e is that where this malaise is coming from or what you know or am I just completely crazy no, no, no. Like you're not at all. I think I think it's a little bit of both. I think it's demand driven um, to a certain extent, but it's also supply driven. Um, the amount of capacity that's come online has driven some really interesting multi-year trends in terms of changes in wholesale pricing. And we've been kind of tracking this, you know, partnering with New Leaf Data Sciences and leveraging their data and doing case studies on kind of the evolution of wholesale pricing in kind of wave one versus wave two cannabis market. So I would define a wave one cannabis market as Colorado, Oregon, Washington, and I'll throw California in there because we saw 
some of the, the same trends there. And so if you go and look back at what the marketplace looked like post-legalization in, in those kind of core markets initially, you saw pretty substantial price inflation as there was a lot of tightness, right, in terms of supply as markets were legalizing and operators were, were scaling up their production. But within like a year, year and a half, you started to see that wholesale pricing rollover. Um, across the board for, for those markets, that lasted about 18 to 24 months. So call it late 18 into early 19. Then we saw, you know, a resumption in price inflation. What happened in that, in the interim period? Clearly there was a washout, right? Because to your point, Lewis, you can only sell below cost for, for so long. And then you see a shakeout in, in the category. Then of course we had COVID in 2020, which drove incremental demand. We think that really pulled forward um, demand, um, brought consumers into the category maybe faster than, than they would have entered the category um, otherwise. That drove a nice inflationary cycle. But as you saw more and more states come online and capacity get built out, Pennsylvania is a great example of that. Michigan's a great example of that. Ultimately, then you had so much supply in the market that it drove price deflation again. I think the encouraging thing that, that we're seeing, and we publish on it every week, is that the rate of price deflation from a national perspective does seem to be easing some. Um, and so if you look at California, near-term wholesale pricing is now up modestly uh, year over year. And, and you've seen improvement in, in other big markets like Michigan as well. It does seem like the improvement skews more west of the Mississippi than east of the Mississippi. So we haven't seen some of the newer east coast states um, show that wholesale pricing recovery just yet. But that is that that dynamic, that, that push and pull. Um, the industry really needs to to get its arms around um, capacity increases because what we did see in, in a market like Pennsylvania probably could have been um, predicted and avoided. Uh, can we shift to safe banking for a moment? And and Eric, I think this is probably, uh, maybe you take a, a first swing at this. Um, you know, we joke that it's Lucy with the football um, here and, you know, we, we all get excited and then we kind of land on our butts. Um, so, you know, the it's been reported that there's um, the, the marijuana banking reform uh, legislation could be heard in a key U.S. Senate committee at the end of June. Who knows? Um, any insight to add there, Eric? Yeah, so I think that would have been a big deal, um, you know, a year or so ago, but you know, there's still a lot of, of sort of roadblocks ahead for SAFE Act, unfortunately. Um, you know, it's not a 0% chance, but it's difficult to see this Congress passing that bill. Um, you know, the Senate couldn't even get 60 votes for a relatively uncontroversial bill uh, involving cannabis and military veterans, uh, which you think would be pretty bipartisan. Um, so it's hard to see how Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer devotes valuable floor time to SAFE. Uh, and even if you could get it through the Senate, the House is now the problem, as GOP leaders are not safe backers. Um, it's difficult to see why the Speaker would want to advance a bill that would split his caucus and further complicate his political survival, um, you know, having already gone through a difficult uh, debt limit deal. I'm not saying you can't make an argument for why uh, Schumer might act, and why McCarthy might permit a vote. Uh, that's why there's still a possibility. It's just not a, a probability, I would say. Well, if it let's just kind of you know do a little wishful thinking for a moment, and say that Chuck Schumer is able to rally the 
the troops and get a few votes on the the Republicans and get to the 60 vote threshold. McCarthy goes out, smokes a big fatty and decides to bring the the vote to the floor um, and it passes. What impact will it actually functionally have on the industry? I mean, is it really going to change the prospects of the the current operators? And if so, in what way? So this might be better answered by Vivian in terms of what the actual impact of this bill might be. Yeah, so, you know, for for safe banking, um, you know, the cost of capital has remained really high um, for the industry. Jared, Eric, and I um, partnered on some some really good um, scenario analysis work um, heading into the midterms last year when everyone was still really hopeful that maybe there was a pathway for for omnibus, but but certainly lowering the cost of capital um, would be the first um, tangible benefit. Um, and and what we've said in the past is that perhaps safe banking, even without um, specific language around capital markets access, could serve to be a fig leaf um, for the exchanges um, to consider uplisting. Uh, so so our director of cannabis, um, Chris Crane, uh, actually made a really interesting point the other day. He believes that there is actually a better chance of rescheduling to so either rescheduling cannabis from schedule one to schedule three or schedule four. Um, what are any thoughts there from a policy or, or, or politics perspective? I guess, Eric, to you first. Yeah. So, I mean, in our view, uh, Biden has demonstrated that he's not actually that interested in changing how cannabis is scheduled. Um, and even if he was serious, the process would likely extend beyond this election cycle, uh, as one needs to both follow the Administrative Procedures Act and change the scheduling in a way that would survive legal scrutiny. Um, so we're probably not as optimistic. Okay, and I, I would just add to, to that, you know, from from an investor standpoint, right? I mean, you know, Lewis, you know, we, we we were so busy talking to institutional investors for for so many years, and it was all around these, you know, policy and and specifically election driven um, catalysts. And I think what was interesting about the the twenty twenty two cycle, even though I think from an industry perspective, you know, there were a lot of us that that were hopeful um, that safe banking could have gotten done um, during omnibus. I didn't see the step up. In, in institutional interest. And so I think the thing, you know, that I would offer is that I think institutional investors remain, you know, keenly aware of cannabis as an opportunity, um, intellectually intrigued by it. Um, but, and to, to your point about Lucy and the football, I don't think you're going to see a lot of large-scale institutional investors do real meaningful work in the space without a real tangible catalyst at this point. Do you guys have hope for that? I mean, you know, the, the, <laughs> when there was in the in the fall, there was all this like momentum and and buzz about um, safe passing. There was a, a run up in in the markets, and then you know, basically overnight, you know, Lucy pulled the football back and the the markets came back down again. You know, Eric, what you're talking about is there's no appetite uh, in the Biden administration to really put any political capital here. There's no appetite for Chuck Schumer to do this, and there's no appetite for Kevin McCarthy to do this. Do you have, you know, any hope? Do you have, more importantly, any faith that this is going to get done anytime soon? Yeah, 
anything. I mean, I might be biased since I cover the state side more closely, but I think that truly is the way. Yes, it's slower, um, but really to, to change uh, perspective on the Hill, especially, you know, for members that represent red states, um, you know, getting those redder states to flip uh, incrementally, I think, does change conversation and, and, you know, maybe helps the federal effort. It's just, you know, further down the road. How about yeah, you, and Eric, I think you've pointed out um, pretty consistently how the 2022 midterms look quite different in terms of state ballot initiatives relative to um, the, the last three election cycles, right? That's right. Yeah, you know, we pretty much maxed out in terms of blue states that can legalize adult use. Um, and now, you know, as you've seen, as Vivian just mentioned in the, in the last cycle, uh, we it wasn't as successful, you know, it wasn't a green, green wave like it was the, in the previous election. Um, and that's just a, a factor of, you know, we've sort of exhausted the, the blue states and it's going to it's going to be a, a bigger slog or a longer slog. to, to get. Through. Yes. So. Sure. Uh, so we are at last count, 23 states plus D.C. to legalize adult use uh, with Minnesota, as you know. Um, you know, that obviously doesn't come online right away. But in terms of, you know, getting it on the books, uh, that's done. Uh, there are. Yeah, it's the map. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, there are a few other states worth watching. Uh, Ohio uh, has a chance to have a special election in this November for adult use. Uh, and then for medical, North Carolina is is one to watch for this year. Um, you know, there's some other long shots like Pennsylvania has a very long uh, legislative calendar in terms of you know when they can vote on stuff. Uh, but I think that's it's going to be tough in Pennsylvania. Um, you know, same thing, New Hampshire. I think they had some long shot opportunity for this year, but I, I doubt that goes anywhere. Uh, and then, you know, beyond this year, the big one that you know, everyone, everybody asks about is uh, Florida. And they seem to have, stakeholders seem to have collected enough signatures to get that adult use initiative on the ballot for 24. So that'll be the big one, I think, for next year. You know, you, 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 you talked about the green wave and the impact that blue states have on cannabis legislation at the federal level. But you know, you can look at two of the reddest states there are, Oklahoma and Missouri. You know, these are big cannabis markets. You know, Missouri is is growing dramatically. You don't get a redder state than Missouri. Are the electeds, are the, the, the two senators and the, the Congress people, are they part of the cannabis caucus and do they care? Or, you know, don't they, right? Because it doesn't seem to us that there actually is such a thing as a cannabis voter. Like, yeah, a, a consumer will vote to towards legalization in their state, but it's not like they're going out and lobbying their electeds to, to, to do anything, you know, in terms of national legalization, interstate commerce, changing 280, like any of that. Are we wrong? Is there actually real legislative pressure being put by cannabis consumers on federal officials to do anything? And I know this is off script. Yeah, no, it's fine. Um, 
you know, the one example that I would point to of, you know, going back to changing perception, um, states, state level first, and then influ in influencing the federal level is uh, Senator Steve Daines in, in Montana. Um, you know, once that state uh, legalized adult use, he became you know, more of an advocate. Um, and I think this, you know, the Safe Banking Act, uh, he's a, you know, one of the, the bigger supporters of that. So that's, you know, one example of, of how it can, can shift. Do you have hope for this country's cannabis industry? And I don't mean like we have such we're an friends existential with a question. Well, it, I'm an existential guy, but, the, but here, I'll give you an, I'll give you what I for an example. Ann and I are good friends with a guy named Adam Smith. Adam is um, the founder of the Craft Cannabis Alliance. He's also the person who stitched together the Western Alliance to allow for interstate commerce. Right. He he and I have had a standing bet that we roll over every year. It's a one dollar bet. He thinks that next year interstate commerce will begin. And we've had this bet in place since 2019. And I'm like, there's no effing way this is going to happen. Right. So he has this fundamental faith that at some point consumers on the East Coast will be smoking Oregon weed because the cost of that is so much lower to produce that it will be imported. Right. I don't think that's ever going to happen. I, I am dubious that safe banking will pass anytime in the near future. But I do believe that the inexorable march to 50 states having adult use is real. We will get there sometime in the next probably five to 10 years. When it came to alcohol and the, the, the repeal of the 18th Amendment, it literally took I think it was 30 years from the repeal of that amendment to the last state allowing for the sales of alcohol. We're probably somewhere in that arc of history when it comes to cannabis, but it happened. Where do you think, like what, when you look at this from like the arc of history perspective, where is your hope? My hopes with the consumer. Um, I don't have to have hope or make predictions, thankfully, around um, policy outcomes because at TD Cowan, we're very, very unique on Wall Street insofar as having dedicated policy professionals um, that that can inform our house view um, of, of policy change. But I'll tell you, you know, everything that I do starts with the consumer and cannabis, like alcohol and tobacco, highly regulated industries. And so I get just a huge amount of government data. Um, and then we supplement that with our own proprietary um, survey work. And what was true in 2016 continues to be true in 2023. Cannabis adoption continues to and the balance of what the cannabis user pool looks like continues to get a little bit more normalized where the category had really over-indexed and continues to with, with lower income consumers. You can see that in terms of the absolute, uh, the growth in the absolute number of users, it's with high income consumers. It's with um, highly educated consumers. It's more ethnically diverse. And then on top of that, we can juxtapose it against data that we see in terms of alcohol consumption. And what 
what we've seen very consistently is that there's this really big shift in terms of perceived risk, especially with 18 to 25-year-olds, which matters so, so much. In my practice, we like to say your experimenter of today is your committed consumer of tomorrow. So when we see these massive divergences in consumer trends with a younger cohort, we think that that tells us a lot about what a category is going to look like 10 or 20 years down the road. And what we've seen very consistently for those 18 to 25-year-olds that past month alcohol incidents has been on the decline and past month cannabis incidents has been on the rise because there's been a massive divergence in risk perceptions between those two categories. Eric, same existential question to you from the policy side. Do you have hope? Yeah, I think uh, my colleague Jared and I both agree that eventually we'll get to a point where there's federal legalization, um, but you know it's not going to be anytime soon. It will be a long slog. You know, five to ten years is, is probably uh, optimistic. Um, it's just a question of what will it take to tip the scales. You know, we mentioned earlier, you know, getting red states to legalize mm -hmm. adult use. Um, you know, what number do you need to get to before you know federal? On the federal level, that you can get uh, 60 votes in the Senate, you know, that seems to be the biggest obstacle. Um, you know, I don't know, but I, I do think it'll it'll happen eventually. Vivian, you know, you, you talked about the changing trends among the consumer that you know that it, those 18 to 25 year olds are moving away from alcohol and to cannabis. That opens up two paths of questions, right? The first path is. Are, are those consumers consuming differently? Quantity, form factor, price point than the people who are like my age. I'm in my 50s, right? You know, we consume much more like the old school person did. Um, are How are the younger people consuming? And, and what is surprising you about the, the CPG nature of this industry? So our, our work on the, the global tobacco industry, I think, is, is pretty helpful here. Uh, so young people are combusting cigarettes at, at a lower and lower rate every single year, right? Um, and so what we observe in the cannabis industry is a little consistent with what we observe in, in tobacco. There does seem to be a migration away from, from combustion um, towards um, non-combustible form factors, which is why vapor in both the nicotine and cannabis space has continued to to gain share. So that's one um, CPG observation that I think holds true across um, my coverage universe. You know, when we initiated coverage of um, the cannabis space in 2016, we already were highlighting the risks that it was going to present to the alcohol industry. That certainly did take time um, to, to show up. We, we did a really interesting um, deep dive in December um, with the 10-year anniversary of Colorado having legalized in, in 2012 for, for adult use in, in cannabis. And we do think that between 2000 2018 and 2022, especially with how many states came online in 2018, that we are starting to see a delta of about 100 basis points in terms of alcohol growth in states that have, where consumers have access to legal cannabis, either medical or adult use, versus states where there's no legal access to cannabis. In other words, alcohol is growing more slowly in states where consumers have access to, to alcohol. Now, that has not driven massive mix shift in the cannabis side sector towards canned beverages. Um, but it does speak to the substitution that you see for these two social lubricants. 
Oh, no, I was just going to say, uh, on the, the canned, be- or the on the, the cannabis beverage side, um, you know, that, uh, that was, I feel like two, three years ago, I don't know, time is weird with COVID, that was like the next big, huge thing, right? Like, oh, this is going to completely disrupt and, and all of this stuff. And uh, I mean, the technology has definitely gotten better. Um, you know, but, but I have not yet seen the, the, I mean, just anecdata that, that shift from like, I'm going to have a, a glass of can, you know, beverage instead of, um, instead of a glass of wine, I, I'll have the can beverage, but it, it will very rarely be instead of my glass of wine. Um, so is there anything that you're seeing in consumer trends that, that looks specifically at that? Yeah, so we included it in in our April annual deep dive, and and we have seen there's a lot of interaction between the two categories. So let's acknowledge that, you know, first and foremost. And and what and what we've always tried to say is that we think cannabis puts at risk the marginal alcohol unit, right? It's 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 not a call around full um, migration or substitution from from alcohol into cannabis. But we are seeing some of that in in the national data, and we do highlight some of that. The other thing, you know, that that I would point to is is some of the trends around intentional abstinence, which I think are really interesting um, in terms of the implications for for the cannabis industry. Um, You know, dry January, sober October. Um, In our survey work, it seemed like there was more of that dry January behavior happening in 21 versus 22. Um, We think that the macroeconomic backdrop in in 22 um, made it more of a wet January. People were giving (laughs) themselves permission to drink (laughs) because, you know, we were dealing with record high inflation and it was, it was just really, really tough time um, for, for consumers. But um, we do think that 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 marginal substitution for kind of, you know, general use is there. And then there's some external morning consult, um, survey work that suggests that that cannabis becomes even more important to, to consumers when they do engage in a dry January or sober October. You, you're both deeply involved in looking at data, right? I mean, Vivian, you're talking about how you swim in data. And Eric, I would assume that there is a large data component to what you're doing in DC. Um, would you both take a moment and pause and think about what has most surprised you about this space you know um vivian i hear what you're saying the 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 move away from combustion to non-combustion whether it be drinks edibles or vaping and eric you know there is the joke that cannabis makes for strange bedfellows like what is the thing that has most surprised you about this industry I did think beverages were going to be a bigger piece of, of the category by by 2023 for sure. Um, I think the the macro backdrop um, and just availability have, have both been headwinds, right? We all understand what the manufacturing landscape looks like in cannabis. You've got to stand up production in any state, um, and really to have a credible category, you're going to have to have a couple of offerings, right? Just having like one brand in the state doesn't drive enough like consumer visibility or interest um, uh, to engage in in a new product for. Format. So that's been problematic. And then from a macro standpoint, you know, the, the price deflation that we've seen, well, it's been pervasive across the space. It's much more apparent in, in flour, right? So when you're in a deflationary environment in flour, the relative value proposition changes, right? It's much more affordable to stay in the flour category if that's where you already were, as opposed to sampling in the beverage category. So one surprise, you know, the, the legislative efforts on the state side uh, 
are not surprising. I would start with that, you know, in terms of the difficulty in getting adult use legalized through the state legislature. Um, but I think what surprised me is that once it gets to the ballot, um, you know, I thought that that would be a little easier uh, to get a lot of states to come online. But as we've seen in this most recent cycle, um, you know, that can also be difficult. And, and I think that's just a, a realization that there's there's still uh, a lot of efforts and stakeholders out there that are pushing against legalization uh, and, you know, the typical voter, you know, it, it may not rise to their level of, of interest at this point. Um, I've got one last question, then I'll let Ann wrap up, but let's put our, our prognostication hats on and um, assume one of two outcomes, either um, Ron DeSantis or Joe Biden gets elected president in 2024. In 2025, if we have Biden back in office or DeSantis in office, does that change the, the, the temperature or likelihood of passage of a cannabis, material cannabis, cannabis legislation, or are we stuck? Yeah, so I mean, Biden, it hasn't been a, a major priority. Cannabis hasn't been a major priority for Biden, but I would, I would think most would agree that uh, ha having him in the White House would be uh, more of an opportune uh, situation for cannabis interests than having uh, DeSantis in place. Um, you know, the question is, is what happens to control of the, the Senate and the House? And I think you would need, again, uh, a sweep for Democrats um, for anything meaningful to pass in terms of cannabis legislation. Yeah, okay, and I really have the last question. Um, we usually ask this of our of our CEOs, you know, and and other entrepreneurs and uh, reporters and um, we don't have this question for you, but I'm going to bring it back. If there is there a, a dream headline or is there an undertold story in happening in cannabis that you would love to see on the pages of Barron's or the Wall Street Journal tomorrow or Investors Business Daily, you know, or, or maybe put your mind um, in the it, like channel your inner institutional investor. Like what's the story they would want to see or they feel is being undertold? Is that a fair question to you both? I, mean, I, th I think my my answer is an, is an obvious one. It, it has to be tangible regulatory change at the federal level. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I don't have anything else to add other than that. Well, we'll hope for that headline. <laughs> yeah, I'm in. You had me. You had me at hello. <laughs> you know, um, Eric. Vivian, thank you so much for taking so much time with us and being so generous with your thoughts. Um, we really appreciate it. And Vivian, there's no way we're waiting another five years to do this. You know, we last did this in 2018. You were one of our first guests. Um, and, you know, I remember you joking with us about everything that was on your desk at that time, about what you had been seeing and being handed by people. Um, and now that, you know, we're all working, you know, either part-time in the office or, or almost fully remote, I wonder what's in your house, um, because I assume that you had to take a lot of stuff out of the office during COVID. So um, I, I bet your your house desk is, is pretty interesting to look at. We are avid readers of everything. That remains true. <laughs> <laughs> well said. 
All right. Thank you well, guys so much. You this so was much. really wonderful. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks, guys. Huge thanks to Vivian Azer and Eric Azaraf of TD Cowan. Check them out at cowan.com. That website will take you to the new TD Cowan page. As always, thanks for listening. If you want to chat with us, please reach out on Twitter at the handle at the underscore greenrush or on Instagram at the greenrush underscore podcast or drop us an email at greenrush at kcsa.com. Lastly, please subscribe to the Green Rush in your favorite podcatcher. And if you have a moment and have nice things to say about us, drop us a rating. And share it. <laughs> <laughs>